You're listening to Soul School with Laura Coe and Kevin Kaiser. On this show, we dive into life's biggest questions. Who are we? What are we here to do? And how can we fearlessly live as our truest, deepest selves? Soul School is the spiritual education you never received. So if you're ready, join us as we explore together. Soul School is in session. And we are back with another episode of Soul School. <laughs> hey, Kevin, how are you today? Good, good. We're back. We're back. I'm so excited. I love doing these with you. Oh, thanks. I, I love doing it with you too. It's uh, it's cool that other people can also listen in, from my perspective, on conversations that we have anyways. So it's I know, like I was, bringing all your friends along. I was describing it to a friend of mine and I was like, we're so weird. We like get on phone calls and it's like, okay, so I was just reading this one chapter and it's like immediately we're just <laughs> done diving into, we both love philosophy so much and spirituality. It's, uh, it's just kind of odd people, but um, yeah, it's like, what else is there? I know. Right. Nothing. Nothing. Um, so today we were going to talk about a topic that I think um, I keep hearing about, right? It's not my history, my story. It's it's more yours, but it's definitely um, one that is spoken of and experienced of frequently in, in the communities that I'm talking to. And it's this idea of being brought up in a rather um, conservative religious upbringing and a relationship to religion in a certain sense, um, perhaps rejecting that at some point, and then finding your way into spirituality and what that all looks like and how that feels. And so I know that's been your path, and I'm I'm really curious and excited to hear you talk about it today. So maybe you could start with sharing, you know, how did you grow up? What was your uh, religious, your family's um, religious uh, structure and belief system? And then what ultimately was the moment that you decided, you know, you had to pull away a little bit. Um, yeah. And how did that feel? Yeah. So I'm a good Midwestern boy. Grew up in <laughs> Southern Indiana um, in a little place called Georgetown. So nobody knows where Georgetown is. So I tell people I grew up about 20 minutes north of Louisville, Kentucky. And um, very, very Christian. So my parents were products of what they called the, the Jesus movement. The Jesus movement happened in the seventies when all the hippies became Christians, you know, but my, my parents weren't hippies. And so I grew up, uh, I have never not known being in church. Um, at least you know, when I was growing up, uh, I mean, some of my first memories were, uh, my, my dad teaching us how to memorize scriptures out of the Bible. And, you know, it, so everything that comes with that. So I was, I mean, I was given that operating system from the, the very beginning and, and the operating system went something like this, that, yeah, humans are inherently sinful. They're inherently bad. Um, and then God made a way for us to not be so bad, right. Through essentially blood human sacrifice. And even as a kid, this didn't quite make sense to me at all. Like, I remember thinking as a little kid, well, why, why is God so angry? Like, why <laughs> would God be so angry? At, and why would God be so angry at me? 
you know, because even as a little kid, I'm going to Sunday school and they're talking about how, you know, God can't stand humans. And it just, just didn't compute with me. And, you know, I know, you know, in hindsight that even, even as a little kid, I, w- I was a bit of a mystic. To me, I would just look around and I would see God everywhere. It just made intuitive sense to me that, you know, God is all there is. And it's the stuff that the trees are made of, and it's the stuff that the air is made of, and it's the thing that makes my heart beat. And I just knew all of these things. But, you know, like what tends to happen in organized religion, whether it's Christianity or Islam or Buddhism, like all of them, all of the isms, you know, your childlike wonder with the world starts getting overwritten with with the code, with the operating system of your culture. And, you know, by the time I was in, into my middle school and high school years, uh, I lost a lot of the wonder um, because it had been overwritten with this operating system that, that basically said, you know, you really need to hate yourself. Mm. You know, Um, there's a lot of, I mean, God, really dude, I just one. need to take that in for one second, right? That's just. I brought that up with my, I pointed that out to my mom recently and she said, oh no, the, like Christianity doesn't teach that. Um, but I pointed out to her several things that we had been taught growing up. I mean, it was, I mean, using uh, scriptures to really justify this, this idea that there's something inherently wrong with human beings. And, um, you know, I went to a Christian university. I went to Oral Roberts University. So like not just evangelical Christian, but like charismatic evangelical Christian. So like way off in the right, uh, you know, so people dancing in services, church services and speaking in, in tongues and all kinds of things that, you know, people from the outside looking in would be like, man, that's, that's crazy. But even then, like at the core of all of it was this idea of fear, judgment. You know, you basically had to get it, get it right. Because if you didn't get life right, you would spend an eternity burning uh, in, in, in hell. Ooh, you know, okay. I'm, I'm having like a, you know, when Oprah had her super soul Sunday, she'd pause and be like, wait, wait, wait to the person. I'm having a moment. <laughs> I used yeah. to love watching it. I'm having a moment, Kevin, because it's like, oh, right? Like, oh, so many people ask me in readings, am I on the right path? I want to know that I'm getting it right. And I'm always like, why does everybody have this? But so many people I think are raised with a religious structure that tells them there's a way to get life right otherwise you're going to hell. And so it's like the, the, the stress of that idea is high. Yeah. 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 And, and then you can look, you can look back throughout history and see how fear is wielded as a, as a weapon to control people. And I think this is one of the things that people see with politics and, you know, institutionalized religion over time is that one of the best ways to keep people in line is through fear. And what is the greatest fear of all? But like, what happens when we die? Well, you know, they would have an answer saying one of two things is going to happen. Uh, you're either going to spend eternity in bliss or you're going to be uh, spend eternity in um, eternal torment. 
and it just made it just made no sense to me um because essentially you know you would ha- you would have to be born in the right place to the right people with the right information and then you'd have to accept the right information in, in order to make the right choices in order to choose the right god and it just started i just started asking questions in my college classes cuz we we had to take things general education courses around like the old testament or the new testament and i'd ask questions about like well you know what happens to the person who you know was born before jesus was even around or you know someone who was born in a country where this wasn't even part of their culture at all you know what happens to them it's they they were just they weren't part of the lucky sperm club they weren't born in the right place and at the right time you know, are they screwed? And, and so like, you know, I started teasing all of these different questions out that for me were really, really big questions, you know, and, and I would have friends that, that would say, you know, Kevin, these are, these are dangerous questions because, you know, you're just going, you're going to confuse yourself. You just need to accept, you know, what everybody tells you. And wow. Yeah. And I remember wow. there was this one, there was this one time, um, I was in my mid twenties and our church had done a, uh, it was a men's event. It was a men's retreat weekend. And for those of, you know, those not familiar with this, you know, guys, they'll go on a retreat. It's like a camp. And usually there's somebody who comes and they'll speak and they'll speak out of, um, out of the scriptures about some topic. And this weekend, this guy was talking about Samson the story of Samson and Delilah. And how Samson was this really strong guy, and you know he he slept with this um, with this uh, prostitute, and he got captured. And the Philistines cut his hair off, right? And uh, and he loses his powers. So in this story, Samson gets put into this public this public building. They've gouged out of his gouged out his eyes. They cut off his hair. And they've made a spectacle of him. So this place is full of men, women, and children, is what the Old Testament says. And so Samson says this prayer. And he says, God, give me the strength one last time so I can take vengeance on my enemies. And the Bible says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. And he put his hands between these two columns and pushed the columns over. The building collapses, kills everybody. So this is what the guy taught on. And he was teaching on the faith, like faith. And we're all sitting around in a circle and, and everybody's saying what they got out of it. And finally the guy comes around to me and he says, Kevin, you're really quiet. What did you get out of this? What'd you get out of the teaching? I said, well, what I got out of it was that Samson was the first suicide bomber. And he was like, what? I said, yeah. And the story, basically it's God sanctioned suicide murder suicide murder because the power of the holy spirit came on samson not so that he could do something good but so that he could take revenge so does that mean suicide is okay in some instances and the guy's jaw dropped he's like i'm not sure i'm not sure what you mean it's like it's pretty obvious isn't it um i said so oh boy 
So those are the kinds of questions I started asking. Uh And I was told, you need to stop asking these questions. And then, you know, I just decided I'm only going to believe those things that I can know for myself directly. But how did you come to that decision? So like take us, so you're in college, you're in this really conservative place where it's, you know, parroting what you grew up with. How how did you get to a place where you finally said, you know, was it a slow burn shift? Was it like a left turn moment? Yeah. Like what was the, the impetus for change? Because yeah. I know you today, I mean, clearly you've, you've <laughs> moved yeah. far away from that. Yeah. It was both. I mean, it was, it was, it was a slow burn at first um, because I saw that the, so I grew up in Christianity and, and Christians were all of my friends and all of our leaders and all of the people were saying that they had the exclusive claim to the one truth that would bring f- fulfillment and happiness in life. And they were some of the most unhappy people that I knew. Mm. And so it just, and I was too. Mm. And so it was saying one thing and then the experience of life was something else. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it just didn't pass the, the smell test anymore, you know, yeah. because, you know, just as many marriages were failing mm-hmm. as my friends who weren't Christians, uh, just as many of the Christians I knew were as greedy as the people that I knew who weren't Christians, mm-hmm. right? So there was nothing different about their lived experience other than what they did on Sunday. I see. Right. And, and just little by little, and it just kind of chipped away at me. And then when I, uh, I worked in entertainment management for 10 years and many of the clients that, that our firm worked with were in the, the Christian space publishing their big brands. And if, if I named some people would know immediately who they are. Um, but so I won't do that, but, and I found that they were, um, they were no different than anybody else. And, you know, and what I was most hungry for was a real experience, like a direct experience with, um, divinity because I'd had glimpses of it and tastes of it over the years. I just knew that whatever it was that we were trying to describe and trying to um, wrap in our beliefs, it couldn't be held by our beliefs. I mean, it was, it was like trying to fit the ocean in a thimble, you yeah. know, and walking around saying, hey, we have the truth. And it just stopped working for me. And, and so one thing that I keep hearing on repeat, and I'm curious for you is, in rejecting maybe the way that things were presented to you young, there's a certain second phase though, where there's a fear of getting, I don't know what word you want to use, indoctrinated or brought into faith in a way that once that doesn't feel good again. How do you have faith in spirituality without feeling like it's kind of replacing the same thing that you had growing up that you've now rejected. So how did you start to think about the spiritual texts, right? I know that you love them so much from the, you know, the Tao Te Ching to whatever mm. it is, right? Like you, you love all of these different, um, Eastern, Western philosophical ideas that 
base themselves in the not knowing and all these, you know, really beautiful spiritual ideas. So how, how do you, how did you bring those in? Did you resist them at first? Did you have that sort of fear? Oh my God, I'm going back into the same basic box again. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel that at all. I mean, to me, it was, it was just exploration because I had already, I had already decided that, and I knew that anything that I could read was just somebody else who was trying to um, make sense of something that they had experienced, right? It's like the Daddy Ching. So Latsu, he has all of the, you know, these wonderful proverbs and things that he talks about. And, you know, it's like the Buddhists say, it's just a finger pointing to the moon. And, um, you know, rather than like, looking and going toward the, in the direction of where the finger was pointing, you know, most people stop and they suck on the finger for comfort, right? Rather than like going and exploring. So I decided, Hey, all of these are really cool maps. They're really cool maps that, that will show me like, try this. Have you thought about that? And I found that they were all essentially saying the same thing. Um, which is, which is, there is one, there is one mystery. We call that mystery God. And if you think you can figure it out, um, you're kidding yourself. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, you cannot know, you cannot know the ocean. Like I can't go and explore every single inch of, inch of the ocean and know it intimately. Yeah. But I can experience the ocean. I can go jump in the waves and I can experience the ocean. And that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to read about the ocean. You know, I didn't want to hear other people's opinions about the ocean. I wanted to, to find out for myself and all of these texts and books and things people were talking about were simply pointing to, Hey, here's where I found, um, here's where I found some answers for myself. Yeah. And yeah. But, but it ultimately, ultimately led me to um, this period of time where I essentially burned the, burned the boats, burned the ships on the beach and decided I'm going to put everything aside that I've ever learned, uh, anything anybody has ever told me. And I'm only going to, to believe what I can experience directly. And, and so, yeah. I know we're going to have a, a show on it because we've already talked about it, but just quickly, I mean, just to, you know, not leave people out there feeling like this is always sunshine and rainbows, decisions to go experience it for yourself and to leave the structures. Well, a lot of people are unhappy in these, these, you know, religious frameworks, going out on your own and experiencing it for yourself definitely is a struggle in a different kind of way. Right. Like, so oh, yeah. just that, that, that experience of the ocean, as you put it, right. Like trying to experience these philosophical spiritual beliefs in your own life, you're like, um, directly, um, faced with the realities of the limitations of your ego yeah. and your stories, your frameworks, who you are, it's a really tough process in a different kind of way. Cause it's this breaking down, right. That I know we're going to talk about later, but I just do want to say, I, 
I know you. I mean, I know that process, right? It's been a long, arduous, yeah. challenging, but beautiful road, right? Oh, it's been amazing. Uh, along the way, I've lost friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I've lost family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that are very, very committed to their own view of the world. Yeah. And, and from my perspective, without without really questioning, um, you know, questioning what they think and believe and what, and what they've been taught, which, you know, I mean, that was one of the, the first things that, that came to my mind. And, and this is one of the reasons why our family eventually had to leave the, the church community where we'd, we'd been in, in Tennessee. And it was, you know, I said the, if God is not big enough to, to handle my questions, even as I'm screaming those questions, right, in confusion or anger or whatever, you know, whatever it is that I'm experiencing, if God isn't, if this infinite God isn't big enough to, to not feel threatened by that, it's way too small. It's no God that I would ever want to um, know, Yeah, you know. Because to me, I look around and the nature of life itself is it's, it's abundant. It's grace. It is, you know, life's not easy, right? Like life is not easy. Existence is not easy. Um, but there is this beauty to it that I could just never wrap in the, like this smallness that I, that I had learned. And, um, but yeah, you're exactly right. It's really hard. It's, I mean, to this day, there are, there are people that I, I really love that were deep friends, but, um, you know, they, we parted ways because they couldn't, um, uh, they couldn't be in a, a friendship or a relationship with somebody who didn't believe the same things, which to me, felt like a huge loss for them. <laughs> but I also mean like, as you step into defining your own experience of this stuff, um, <sighs> It's like you're, if you accept the structural thing you're saying in the early part of your story, right? Like, don't question it. Just, just accept it. There isn't that sort of deep, um, uh, analysis of oneself. There's not that time, that reflection into like, what does all this feel like in my own body? What does this all feel like in my own experience? And as you do that, which I know we're going to talk about more, it's a really, really stressful process at the beginning, right? To confront your thoughts, who you are. If I'm not my thoughts, then who am I? Oh my God, all these things I believe to be me, maybe yeah. aren't me, right? Like all of that stuff. So it's kind of like, um, it's like a new challenge in a different way and, and, and it's beautiful oh, yeah. and and the payoff is worth it. But right, D- didn't you find that transitional phase? I mean, I know because we talk about it, but um, these sort of breaking down of all the structural norms that you've, yeah. you've it has not been fun. But <laughs> yeah, that part of the process has not been fun. I went through a period of time where I actually questioned whether I was sane. Yeah. You know, didn't we do that that's a yesterday? pretty common. It was yesterday, two days ago. Uh, but that's a pretty common thing because, you know, in order to be free and happy, you don't have to really, you don't have to acquire anything. There's nothing new to learn, but you have to drop stuff. Right. And you have to drop everything. Well, ba- Kevin, not just stuff, but like you got to drop who you think you are. Exactly. Yeah. And who you think others think you are. 
Yeah. And, and what you think the world is. A, <laughs> I mean, if if you are if you're deeply committed to that process, and I was deeply committed to that process, um it, it will be I mean, it will be the most thrilling, uh, fierce and vicious um, process that you go through because nothing will be spared. Nothing. I mean. Yeah. And once you start, this has just been my experience. I always feel a little sorry for people who come across my path because they were like, yeah, no, Laura, I want to do it and everything. And I'm like, okay, you know, but once you open that door, you can't close it. You can't. Yeah. And yeah. so it's and like I, this one-way ticket into a different way of seeing the world, but it's like, yeah. oh my God, some days, can I put the blinders back on? I don't know. You yes, know, it's, that's it's, it. I, I have so many friends that are, you know, on this path, if you want to call it a path, this experience, and they all say something similar. Mm-hmm. They, they're like, I wish I was, I feel like that guy in the matrix yeah. who's eating the steak and says, I know the steak isn't real, but- Man, put me back in the matrix. Just let me stay asleep. That's like, right. I wish I could go back. That's right. And and I've said that myself many times. I've even many. said it to you. And you were like, Kevin, you know that's not what you want. You know I've that's said it not to you. I, I mean, th- it's my favorite like crisis of consciousness story. I'm like, I told it on on a previous episode where I was like, I'm done with it all. But I get so angry <laughs> sometimes at the stress of the conformity, right? The beliefs that yeah. that you know, just like none get spared. And there's a time where you're like, okay, like uncle. I am tired of shedding and shedding and shed. I mean, it's hilarious because my first book was called Emotional Obesity, Shed the Weights That Keep You From Your Authentic Self. Like, clearly this is something that I wanted for, <laughs> it's like over a decade ago. But it's like, um, you know, you go to the gym and you work out and it hurts. And when you build muscle, it tears before it gets yeah. stronger. And I think of that, you know, it's like when I'm doing the emotional workout, the spiritual workout, it's not really different from going to the gym. It's like things tear to make mm-hmm. more space so that you can break open more. And, you know, I, I think of, I'm, I'm writing a, a book called Beautifully Broken. It's like breaking open to break through, to break down, to break into more of myself, but it is a tearing to open, to build more. And, yeah. um, I wish the process was a little different, right? Um, mm-hmm. Community is critical in that process, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know what I would do without you and several other people where I can freak out sometimes, but but yeah. you can't really shut the door even if you do have that um, emotional break. Yeah. And life always finds a way in. <laughs> <laughs> My son calling in the middle. There's, there's the break. <laughs> hey, but this is the way like life is like this, right? Like, like the reality of life is, you know, not as we expected, you know, it's messy. It's, you know, one of the, one of the people that really helped me on my own journey was uh, Richard Rohr. And Richard Rohr is a Franciscan monk who, um, you know, he's written extensively about sort of the, the Eastern view of Christianity because Christianity is an Eastern religion. 
And, you know, we as Westerners don't see it. We see things, things through the enlightenment age, the age of reason lens. And, you know, I began to see that, especially in Christianity, I, I began to see the beauty again in it the same way I saw it in Taoism or in Buddhism. And it was like each of these cultures and each of these perspectives were they were describing a facet on this diamond, you know, this infinite diamond. And, you know, and it reminded me of something that C.S. Lewis said many, many, I mean, many years ago about how God shows up in the cultures, uh, in every culture of the world in its own language, in its own way. Uh, they have their own ways of describing, you know, this mystery and this, the, the beauty and the struggle of life. And, you know, I, I just began to take all of those and I just learned from whatever resonated with me. And I found that, um, it was very beautiful, but it really was a death process. You know, there was birth, there was death because there is no resurrection without death. There is no renewal, uh, rebirth, which is, I think what our, that's at least been my experience you know, of like the birth of these identities that we have. And then in order to move beyond them, there is a dying that happens and dying is never, uh, it's not romanticized, you know, it's not a romantic thing. It's, um, you know, I think the, the overused metaphor, the caterpillar becoming the butterfly is still maybe the best one there is because the caterpillar has no concept at all. What butterfly is no concept. All it knows is that is its own existence. And then it basically destroys itself in the process of becoming what it will eventually be, you know? Wow, but it's I've never heard it phase. described that way. That's so beautiful. Yeah, that subliminal space, that goo phase where it's not a caterpillar anymore and it's not a butterfly yet. It's like it's this goo inside of the cocoon. And I spent many years in the goo stage. And, um, you know, wondering if I was going to die that way. Yeah. Like is, like, is there any hope? I mean, I went through times of depression and, you know, it, does anything matter? Do I matter? Is there any meaning to life? And I think all of those are really necessary. You know, those are the dark night of the soul that I, I don't know that there's any way around that. Yeah. Um, you know, the yeah. only way out of the stories is through them, you know, through the darkness to what's on the other side of it. And, you know, it, it can be lonely, which is, you know, why, like I say, community is so important, having people in your life that can walk with you. So. Whew, well, Kevin, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. I'm sure so many people can relate to it. And um, thank you for chatting with me again today. My pleasure. My pleasure. And thank you for being my friend. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. And I really hope that you consider checking out the Little Soul School, littlesoul.school, where there's a community of people dedicated to soul growth, soul learning, and the Akashic energy, a space that holds all of our soul's histories, everything we've ever done in all of our lifetimes because they're looking for a deeper connection to themselves, a place to experiment and play with spirituality, 
in a non-judgmental, vulnerable, open community of people. No woo-woo, no fluff, just fun and connection. Come check it out, littlesoul.school.